everyone, welcome to the Sports Online Podcast, where we talk about football to fishing and everything in between. Today, we're going to be covering the Champions League, specifically Leg 2. We talked about Leg 1 last time, including predictions as well as just covering scores as a whole. Today, we have four games that have currently been played out, and we know who's going on to the round of eight, also known as the semifinals. We'll cover predictions we made, the scores from those games, and our predictions for, what is it, March 14th? So in four days. As well as the 15th for Real Madrid, Liverpool, and Napoli, Eintracht, Frankfurt. Those will be some heaters. But yeah, currently Porter is not in studio because he's off doing Porter things, being a teenager and just having fun. While we're stuck here in our new and improved studio with some epic lighting. But yeah, we're going to get into the many intricacies of the Champions League and all the scores, things to expect, and the potential drama and news that comes with it. So, Samuel, how are you doing? I am doing well, and I hope you are too, Isaac. And I wanted to point out um, that the next round is actually the quarterfinals and not the semifinals. But with your soccer knowledge, I'm sure you will be able to predict all the way into the semifinals anyway. I thought the round of 16... Nope, you're right, you're right, you're right. But I think it's fair to say that depending on how some of these games go, it might be quite... Not obvious, but it'll be pretty. It, it would be a worthy bet to know what teams are going to make it to the semifinals. But we'll get into that later. Um, I do have to say before we start covering some of these games, um, there were a lot of them that were played from February twenty second on that actually really surprised me. And out of the one, what four games you said that we've no six. Um, well, for the second leg, I think a majority of them were a lot, except one game, were actually a lot closer and a lot better games than I thought they were going to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, Liverpool's game was definitely uh, strange. But we did not escape Liverpool-esque fixture scores because in this leg, we had a very interesting one between Benfica and Club Bruges. But we'll have to wait for that later. Right now, let's talk about Leipzig, Man City, and Inter Porto. Inter and Porto had their meeting, their clash, if you will, but I believe mid-recording, if I'm not mistaken. So, we didn't get to see the final scores on that game and instead made predictions. If you listened to the last episode, we had a prediction of myself going for Inter Milan. Samuel predicted a draw, and Porter predicted Porto. If you have seen the scores or follow Champions League at all, you'll know that I was indeed correct with Inter winning 1-0. Samuel just missing the ball with a 1-0, so very close to a draw just in terms of like a competition. They were very similarly matched, so a draw is definitely possible. And Porter was wrong, unfortunately, due to a red card on Porto's side. The next game we predicted was RB Leipzig-Man City. I predicted Manchester City losing 1-0, whereas Porter and Samuel predicted Manchester City winning. And we were all losers there because they drew. Very, very, very interesting game. Very entertaining for sure. Can I just say that the Milan game was... That's a nail-biter because you had Otavio having a red card in the 78th minute and then Romelu Lukaku scoring in the 86th minute. That was... That was a crazy game, um, especially with the amount of um, 
fouls spread between both teams. You had 15 on Inter Milan, 14 on Porto. Uh, uh, two yellow cards combined for each team. Um, and I, I think especially with Porto, I, I know we talked about the scores before, but I definitely thought that Inter could have, even though I said 2-2 draw, I thought it was going to be a lot more high scoring than it was now. Um, especially, and I, I know that I, I brought it up before the amount of talent compared to between the two that I thought Milan definitely had the slider edge. So we'll definitely see, you know, how they move on to the second leg. But if, and this is a really hot take, but I don't, if, if Inter Milan really doesn't show how well they can do against Porto, I don't know if they're really going to make it that far in the quarterfinals because there's a lot of talent in, on all teams, including both these. But I don't know. I just – I think they might be one of the first ones out. Well, they're playing, uh, like I said, March 14th. So we'll see if Inter Milan can hold up. It's definitely one of those games where we see a lot of fouls. Inter Milan and Italian football as a whole is very physical, but then you get Portuguese passion. I mean, we see it in Brazilian football as well. So uh, the physicality of the game, I think, contributed to the 1-0 versus a potentially high-scoring game. And then, of course, as of recent, it feels like teams can't finish outside of one random, absolutely belter of a match, be it Bruges this time against Benfica and Liverpool-Real Madrid last time. So without that red card, I think it could have ended in a nil-nil draw. And it's still crazy to me how Romelu Lukaku scored considering he's, well, Lukaku, if you know the meme. So definitely somebody who is made fun of due to his inability to be consistent. But he showed up when it mattered. Well, so. he, sorry, uh, sorry for cutting off. But he scored off a volley. Um, and I know you know with you said the meme. I don't know too much about it, but he's. I think you know him going Isaac. And correct me if I'm wrong. So Lukaku went was it Everton to. Did he go to Milan? No. Yes. He went to United first. So he went from Everton to right to United to Milan to Chelsea back to Milan. Um, and when I think of him being on five teams, that it was it because he wasn't very good. Was it because he just never performed? But I mean, I think ever since he's come back to Milan after I'm assuming he was on loan with Chelsea. Um, he's definitely showed out. So I, I definitely think, um, that him being on the team has helped out a whole lot. And I guess we'll just see how the, like you said, Isaac, how this next leg is going to go. Um, especially with the, uh, the attacking talent that Milan has, I think they're just going to have to step it up a little bit. Um, but we'll go ahead and move on to the next game which is Leipzig and Man City. And the score of that was a 1-1 draw with uh, Riyad Mahrez scoring on the 27th minute and Josko, I'm going to totally butcher your last name, so I'm sorry, Josko, um, Javardiol, I Gavardiol. think. Yeah, scoring in the 70th minute. And then to give you some statistics on that, 
the possession percentage was 62% to Man City, 38% to Leipzig. Um, 12 fouls for Leipzig, uh, 6 for Man City. And hear this, Isaac. This was pretty crazy. There was only one yellow card in this entire game, which went to Leipzig. Um, and there was only five saves in this entire game. Three yeah, definitely saves. a very low shot count match. Yeah. Um, it just shows you, the first and foremost, the tactical ability of both of these coaches to prevent many shots from going in, or rather getting on target in the first place. And then on top of that, just the quality of the defense. Because Gavardiol was, he played at Dinamo Zagreb, which is a Ukrainian team, I believe, either Ukrainian or Russian. And nobody really knew of his potential. And all of a sudden he pops up at Leipzig as probably one of the best Croatian players, I mean, that we saw the World Cup first and foremost, and just overall. Definitely leagues behind Modric, but still one of Croatia's best so his overall ability has kind of just popped out, popped up out of nowhere. And then obviously Manchester City's had some interesting uh, aspects to their game. Well, with John Stones being injured, then you have a, rota- a rotation of Ruben Diaz, Nathan Ake, uh, Emmerich Laporte. You've got Akanji. Akanji as well. They've got a lot of center backs for some reason. And then their fullback... Uh, pool is very shallow, but that's why I believe Ake and Akanji are playing fullback as well as center back, and then Kyle Walker just kind of has that permanent spot at right back. And well, so in the game, Man City played a three-two-four-one, so they only had three in the back anyway. Yeah, they've uh, Pep has seemed to adopt that three-back uh, tactic, which is not the best when it comes to his style of play, but I believe Kyle Walker was actually out for that match, uh, suspended, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it shows that he was starting lineup. Okay, he was right wing. See, I'm interested as to, first and foremost, why Bernardo Silva was playing uh, defensive midfielder and Gundogan was playing attacking. That is uh, a little confusing in my opinion. But... They have so much talent on the bench with Calvin Phillips, uh, Phil Foden, and then they have a lot of squad depth. And then it's almost strange how most of their squad depth wasn't with them for their trip to... uh, Actually, it was at their stadium, but it's interesting how... There was no, they did not bring what effectively a lot of their squad depth with them, which resulted in zero substitutions. Their entire team played 90 minutes, which is uh, which is probably why Gavardiol scored. The defense was just run ragged, and then Riyad Mahrez scoring early was very nice. But like I said, no Laporte, no really backup defensive ability. Because, I mean, you could throw Calvin Phillips in as a center back or a CDM, but it, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I didn't understand why they put Bernardo Silva in defensive mid. I would have rather pushed someone like, um, like, well, no, I wouldn't put Nathan Ake into center defensive mid. Um, but like you said, and um, like Julian Alvarez... You know, one thing I don't understand is why they're benching Calvin Phillips. They brought him from Leeds being a star defensive mid 
to Man City, and now he's just sitting on the bench. It's like a waste of talent. Why doesn't he just go back to Leeds? I mean, he was doing perfectly fine there. I don't understand why he's, like, why they're benching him. He was, they picked him up from Leeds for a reason, because he had that talent to be a starting center defensive mid. Well, I mean, he really showed up in not only the Europa League, but also the World Cup. Yes. And then he went into league play, and he just got hurt. It Injuries have killed so many players. And I want, I have never understood. You had people like Roy Keane, uh, Bruisers, Rio Ferdinand, uh, Saul Campbell, Patrick Vieira. Um, goodness, there's so many. And I'm just completely blanking on all of them. But there were so many bruisers, similar to how the NBA functioned, in that there were the, the bullies, like the, the Pistons. But when you look at modern football, they just get hurt all of the time, and I'll never understand why it happens so consistently. Can I, can I also say this? Sorry. Um, through this entire season and the Premier League, Calvin Phillips has had zero starts. He's probably only come off the bench a couple times. Um, it's. I think he's been a sub five times this year. Okay, my guess was four. And the reason why Phillips... So, Calvin Phillips came in as a replacement for Fernandinho. Right. And Fernandinho has started more times than... Like, I, I just said that confuses me because Fernandinho was a starter and now that him being replaced, air quotes there, he's just being started on the bench. Like, it, it's just wild to me. Yeah, it's definitely a waste of talent, but he's still winning, so I'm sure in his mind getting paid 65,000 pounds a week and then still winning trophies is great for his resume. Yeah. But They're, no, I, I definitely think it's it was a good move on paper, but... As a footballer, he's got to be bored out of his mind. And yeah, and let me ask you this, Isaac. And I'm looking at the the um, I'm looking at the lineups right now for Leipzig. I'm really confused, and maybe I just don't um, I don't know too much about Leipzig. But they started Klosterman at right back and not at center back. I don't know why they would do that because Klosterman has the size to be a the uh, to be center back, not right back. Um. And well, then put... uh, so you can start center backs at right back. I mean, Sule at Borussia Dortmund was played at that position plenty. So it's not strange by any means. Uh, Klosterman was just put there because they had so much depth in the midfield, or sorry, the middle of the pitch defensively, that by putting him there... Um, you have somebody who can reject Holland's aerial threat. It didn't negate goal scoring because of Riyad Mahrez just being shifty, but it is a way to counter Erling Holland. When you have somebody as big as Holland and as fast as Holland, you either need somebody bigger, faster, or both. And usually the way to stop him is just be physical because you can slow him down and keep him at your speed by getting in the way or cutting him out or just simply slowing him down, because the ball moves faster than you. So if you can keep him from getting to the ball, then he will never reach said ball, or somebody will reach it before him, and you kind of cut out that threat. Yeah, and but it's more because Mares was playing an attacking mid, and then they pushed Walker to right back. So I, pro- I don't know if, if I would have kept Klosterman 
towards the middle because Ria Mars isn't playing wing like he, right wing like he would usually. Well, like I said, it's it's really just a counter for Holland because when you've scored or when you've contributed to thirty six goals in oh. the Premier League, you just you right. are fo- hyper fixated on him, which is why people believe Erling Holland is going to help them win the Champions League. Everybody's going to be so focused on this goal scoring machine that they're going to forget people like Mares who are very much so legitimate threats. And it's just one of those things where you have to be very careful. Yeah. Um. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, moving on to leg number two, we've covered Inter Porto and Manchester City, Leipzig, in terms of their threats, and we'll get to our predictions on them after learning how they performed in leg one. But first and foremost, Benfica 5, Club Bruges 1. That, like I said, was our Liverpool-Real Madrid score of leg two. And it's absolutely ridiculous because when you look at the aggregate, 7-1. So Club Bruges was outscored by a considerable margin. And it's not even like Benfica let off the gas either. They had Rafa Silva score early. Then they had Gonzalo Ramos score two goals in relatively quick succession. João Mario scored a penalty. So Bruges was very clearly falling apart. Davin, David, David, Neres scored once again shortly after. After and then Bjorn Meyer scored a, effectively a consolation goal. But looking at these lineups, it does not look like Club Bruges has much talent because most of their names are not well known. Outside of Mignolet, who's ex-Liverpool, Van Aken, who's been pretty consistent, Taysom Buchanan, who plays for Canada, he's their main guy out on the right. And then going back to Benfica, they have uh, Otamendi, they have Rafa Silva, Jean Mario, Gonzalo Ramos, so they just have more names, which I think contributed to just the absolute smacking of Bruges. They had just more talent. It was more concise, and you could tell that they had they were just better going in. I'm still waiting for Gonzalo Guedes to start because he really deserves that call-up, not just to sitting on the bench. Yeah, I also want to say it's worth noting, I think, with Club Bruges, um, they had they got two yellow cards in three minutes, and then when you look at the spread of the statistics, um, possession percentage Benfica sixty, Bruges forty, um, fouls seven to Bruges, three to Benfica, yellow cards four to Bruges, one to Benfica, um, and again saves. Now this is kind of crazy. Benfica had one their who's their isn't their goalkeeper uh yeah Vlad. Benfica's goalkeepers from Greece. Yeah, Vlago Demos had one save, and then Mignolé, like you said, Isaac from Liverpool had two saves. So that um, I f- I feel bad for kind of saying this because I mean I'm Club Bruges has to have a you have to have a lot of heart and a lot of talent to make it in the the Champions League, but I was not surprised that this happened. And it's not like they didn't put up a fight. I mean, to be fair, Benfica just took more shots, which contributed to them scoring more goals. But their shots on target, 
just looking at the stats, so Bruges losing a possession is not the end of the world. You can give up possession simply by just letting the team hold it at the back. They're not doing anything, so you get one shot on target and they just hold it at the back. It could have a 99% possession rate, but you could still win. So the possession doesn't really tell you much. But it's when you look at the foul comparison, the yellow card comparison, the shot on target comparison, that you can really glean that they just lost it. So 11 shots missing the target. I'm certain that half of those 11 were probably pretty close, but still having six wild shots out of 13 is pretty crazy. And then, of course, four yellow cards, assumedly coming near the end of the game, just losing your composure. It's just bound to happen when you're down probably 3-4-0 at that point. So the fact that they scored is definitely helpful for their uh, appearance. You can tell that they were still trying to fight to save some form of face, but I'd argue getting Brazil is probably worse. It's definitely not ideal. Yeah. And then there's the Tottenham-Milan game. The only notable thing that happened this game was a red card. I mean, the the stats, possession was pretty balanced. Uh, pass accuracy was pretty bad. It, Matt, they tied at 83%, but 83% is pretty bad. Missing one out of every five passes is not great. An unbelievable amount of fouls. 30 combined fouls. It's crazy. To only three yellow cards. So the referee definitely let that get out of hand. Obviously, Tottenham had more fouls, more yellow cards, more red cards. Somehow, more corners. Six to zero. So, very clearly attacking. They they had 23 shots combined across the two teams. Milan had more, as well as more shots on target. But neither team could do anything with it. Looking at the lineups, uh, Romero just had uh, a two yellow cards, probably made a stupid mistake, and then chose to make another stupid mistake. Frazier Forrester, probably one of his first appearances in a Champions League match, considering he played for Watford most of his career. Um, Ben Davies, interesting start. Oliver Skip, very interesting start. Um, Looking at the bench, Ben should never have been on the bench. Uh, Rabic, Kier, oh wait, I'm looking at the wrong team. (laughs) Uh, Danjuma never should have been on the bench. Uh, Lucas Mora's history in the Champions League, I think, should have warranted him at least starting over Oliver Skip. Like, come on now. Uh, Davison Sanchez came on at uh, at one point to, I believe, replace Emerson Royale. Emerson has not been playing very well. So I can understand why he was replaced. It probably just buckled under pressure. It's not been... It's, Tottenham has not had a very good trophy hunting season. No. And as a Tottenham fan, you can only hope to do more. Well, I would like to move on to the game that surprised me the most. And I'm sure you already know, Isaac. And I think this is the biggest upset out of... Well, I'm I'm gonna this is a cliffhanger here. I'm drawing this up. The craziest not crazy, just the score I was not expecting, Chelsea and Dortmund. 
Chelsea coming back 2-0 to to wipe Dortmund out of uh, UEFA Champions League. In my opinion, the biggest upset of this entire round of 16. I want to hear your thoughts on this because I really do believe that this is... I thought Dortmund was definitely going to win with the way Chelsea had been in the... um, and and well in EPL so far and Barclays I was not expecting Chelsea to actually beat Dortmund see the the stat sheet uh, I want to go over lineups first so Kepa Ariza Balaga has been one of the best keepers in the Premier League most clean sheets most save per- or biggest save percentage he's been absolutely world class Kukurea getting a start was strange I was not expecting it but he clearly showed up same with Mateo Kovacic, and then Reese James being healthy definitely helped them win. Christian Pulisic being back on the squad definitely definitely a positive note for the American, but I really don't see him staying anymore. Hopefully, he'll get a chance to show himself in the Champions League and really get him a move to where he's appreciated. But man, the bench depth on this team is insane. The, there's no way they should have lost to Dorman. Dorman's a strong team, but when your starting lineup has Ariza Balagos in the form of his life, Enzo Fernandez, Raheem Sterling, Joao Felix, and then your bench is uh, Mikhailo Mutrik, Dennis Zachariah, Hakeem Ziyech, uh, Chukwemeka, Chukwemeka, who's one of the best young center backs in the league as well. You'd, you'd expect them to do things. I still find it funny that both teams have a Koulibaly. I did see that, but one's with a K and one's with a C. Yeah. But the one thing I wanted to point out, statistically-wise, possession, Dorman had 61% and Chelsea had 39%. Like I said, it doesn't matter. You can have low possession. And they had the same amount of shots, the same, same amount of shots on target. Chelsea was just better. And they had 17 fouls compared to Dortmund's nine. And that's something that seems to happen a lot with uh, English teams is just fouls are a lot worse, a lot more plentiful, which is strange because you'd expect the German team to be more aggressive and kind of who. Yeah, and who is, who's the young the young gun? Uh, not young gun. Well, I say young gun because he's supposed to be like one of the fastest players. In... Oh, Mikhail Mudrik. Is that his name? Yep. But he is, is he hurt? No, he's, this is something I will never understand. Teams will make big money moves and pull in huge influential players and then just sit on the bench, do nothing. They spend all that money for a player who either was not ready for it, is not performing to the level that 120 million pounds should warrant you, and it's just what happens, unfortunately. Because I didn't even see him on the bench. He is on the bench. He is, but he should not be sitting there. Because they brought in Joao Felix, Enzo uh, Enzo Fernandez, and Mikhailo Mudrik. Uh, Mudrik was the most expensive, I believe, if not second only to Enzo by a small margin. Should not be sitting on the bench. Wait, they got Joao Felix? Yeah. They picked him up out of free agency, uh, technically. Are you talking about for Borussia or Chelsea? Chelsea. Oh, I'm talking about uh, the the really good player on Borussia that's really fast. Uh, hmm. You said he's young. Yes. Um, the only one I could think of is Karim Adeyemi. That's that's who it is. Yeah, so he did not start. 
he's not he's not a Champions League uh, level player yet. I don't believe. Gotcha. And then, speaking of surprising uh, score lines, Bayern Munich PSG winning three nil on aggregate. So it was not even close. PSG just got trounced, which, when you look at the stats, very, very balanced. I mean, PSG had more possession marginally, a lot more passes, playing like prime Barcelona. Fewer shots, uh, marginally fewer shots on target, less fouls. They They played more conservative, which might have caused them to lose. But I think Bayern Munich and PSG... Going down to three nil uh, goal separation is a bit strange. Have you seen the clip of Matthias Delit making that goal line save? I have not seen that yet. Flew out of nowhere and just I believe it was Vitinha or Fabio Ruiz uh, made a good move, got around Jan Sommer, and then bang, Matthias Delit comes out of nowhere. Stops an open net should have been a guaranteed goal from going in. It was honestly like Hollywood esque. It should never have happened. But yeah, they they stole uh, the rug right out from underneath PSG's feet. It was uh, an entertaining match in terms of like I said the Matthias Delit slide. But Bayern Munich is just being they're doing Bayern Munich things. I know that I'm a huge Neymar fan, but do you think the reason why PSG didn't win was partially because they were missing Neymar? I think Neymar has become a very overrated name. He's basically washed up, and he needs to move on. He he was a good player. He still is a good player, but he needs to get out of there. For PSG's sake, just as much as his own. I. I don't, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's washed up. I just think he needs to find a, a better start with everything that's been going around in PSG. And that's my unbiased opinion. But anyway, um, next episode uh, that we talk about the Champions League, we will go ahead and put our predictions in uh, for the rest of the games. And we'll see how, you know, we'll get our, we'll chop it up there. Um, but for now, for all of us, or both of us here in the studio this time, God bless y'all. And we will see you on the other side.